You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming, and achieving success in multifamily real estate, and even some of them doing it while active duty, and really dig into their lessons learned, as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. Hey learners, and welcome to another episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and today we have another amazing guest. We have Aaron Helley. She's a 14-year Army vet, has uh, also been doing real estate investing for the past three years, currently has 38 doors valued at over $3 million, and is an expert in creative financing and also conducts a lot of coaching for other guys in real estate investing. So, Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, and I've been looking forward to talking with you for a while and uh, you know, kind of sharing your experience because it seems like you've you've pretty much done it all when it comes to real estate investing. Yeah. You know, I, when I first got started, I didn't have a job at all. I started when I got out of the army, I didn't have a W2. Um, and I quickly ran through my savings. So I had to get pretty scrappy and pretty creative. And that's what I really fell in love with was the idea that like you can find a deal and you can put it together in so many ways and the more creative, the better. And it's just sort of taken off from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think that's one of the things that makes us great military, great investors as, as former you know, vets and active duty guys is our resourcefulness and ability to just get the mission done no matter what. Um, and it sounds like you definitely took that to, to heart in your, in your real estate career. Um, yeah. But let's start with your, your uh, military background and how you got in and if, how and if that led to real estate. Yeah, so I um, went to West Point when I was 18 years old. So I did four years at West Point, um, and then I served on active duty for another eight years after that, and I was an engineer officer. I, I loved it. I was pretty good at it, um, and then we had our first, my husband's also military. He's still actually in the Army, and so we had our first daughter about four years ago, and we thought we didn't know if we'd be able to do the dual military thing forever. We, we hoped we could, but we had a pretty good idea that it was going to get really tough. Um, and three days after returning from maternity leave, I got orders to go to Afghanistan. My husband was already scheduled 
to go to Iraq. And prior to that, I'd already gone on two deployments. Um, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan. I volunteered for the second one. I volunteered for anything and everything I could early on in my career. I got my company command done early. And I hoped that that would just sort of buy me a little bit of time to have some kids and just chill out for a little bit. And um, I got three days <laughs> and they tried to send me back to Afghanistan. So, and I, when I got those orders, I literally laughed because I had a three month old at home and there was nothing that could have separated me from her. Absolutely nothing. And I just said, you know, I said to my boss, I said, I'm not going. And I realized in that moment that I wasn't a good soldier anymore. You know, I didn't, I shouldn't still be in the army. I didn't want to deploy. I didn't want to do the things that I needed to do. And so I, I just couldn't maintain it. So I, I made the decision that night, my husband and I did to get out and I literally resigned the next day, which is kind of a crazy thing. It's, it's a rough transition out of the military. Um, and I got out five months later, I went into the reserves after that and served in the reserves for another two years before finding out that I had a heart condition. And the, it was, it's a congenital heart condition. I've always had it. I just didn't know. And as soon as the army found out, they kicked me out like literally overnight. And I realized not only, you know, after leaving active duty, and then again, after getting kicked out of the reserves that the army didn't care about me. The army didn't care about me as a person. They didn't care about me financially. They kicked me out with no, um, you know, compensation or anything like that. And it just sort of like things clicked in my head. Like I no longer wanted to work for somebody. I no longer wanted to commit to something. I wanted to work for myself and do the things that I needed to do. And I wanted to do for me and my family. So my perspective changed a lot, um, through that whole process. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's quite a, a history there of, uh, you know, and, and almost mindset shift and what your priorities were when it came to, you know, uh, being a good soldier and being in the army and, you know, being from West Point, which I won't hold that against you. Um, and, uh, you know, and then suddenly having a family and, and realizing that that, you know, suddenly was the most important thing in your life, no matter, you know, what the army said or otherwise. Um, you know, as someone who's dual military myself right now, I, I, I um, empathize with, trying to raise and really start a family on being dual military. And, you know, luckily I'm, uh, we're both kind of on a short tour here. So the chances that we're going to go get deployed or anything is are relatively small, but um, you know, that's, that's kind of the reality. I think for a lot of military dual military couples is like, unless you are in a position that requires you to always be on a short tour um, you know, it, it's almost uncertain what's going to happen in the future. And it doesn't matter if you have one kid or five kids, like that's, kind of the reality. And it's a scary thought to think that, um, and one of the things that we were worrying about here is, and we live in Japan is, uh, what childcare was going to be like if, cause we're both, we're going to be working shift work. Um, you know, we both have to go to work, you know, what if there's no childcare here? And, you know, with COVID that's definitely impacted a lot of, uh, of childcare facilities here, like even shut it down. And, you know, it should, it really has made my decision more concrete to want to get out. And, um, you know, so long story short, what I want to ask you in all of that is, you know, as a dual military couple, what other kind of um, struggles did you did you find when trying to start a family and then having a family? Yeah, so I think um, the starting a family thing, 
it's probably not really unique to military. I think it's probably like this for everybody. It's, it's finding that right time. Um, you know, there's never a right time to, yeah. uh, especially yeah. as a woman, like to be pregnant for 10 months and then have a newborn baby. Um, so that's kind of hard, I think for everyone regardless. Um, but absolutely like syncing up your schedules, um, and figuring all that stuff out. We learned really through, um, when we tried to get pregnant with our first and our second as well, like we, it wasn't easy for us to get pregnant. And my husband was deployed a lot. And so he would do four to six months at a time and then leave. And so both times we're trying to get pregnant and all of a sudden he's gone for six months. And that's just, it is like devastating. It's heartbreaking when you, um, you know, have your heart set on that. And I, but again, I don't think that's unique to just military people. Um, so yeah, you know, kind of tried to figure that out. And, and for someone like me, who's so career oriented and so driven, it was hard for me to like wrap, really wrap my head around, um, having a kid. And I always, I always knew that I would, and I just sort of pushed it off for a long time. And, and unfortunately in the military, you're almost brainwashed to think that it's, it's an inconvenience. Like it's, it's treated a lot of ways. Like you're not committed to the military if you want to have a kid. And I, I didn't want that reputation when I was so worried, like how people were going to look at me when I got pregnant and when I became a mom. But then once I had a kid, I didn't care. I I had an amazing child who changed my entire life. And I didn't care after that. So I guess for any of you out there, especially the women listening, like if you're worried about that, like once you have that baby, it's not going to matter anymore. You're not going to care. So that was my perspective. And then, and to be honest, like being dual military, I think was easier than what we're doing now because, um, we were, it's so easy to be on the same page. We had great conversations, like professional conversations about our careers when we were both in the military. We both went to West Point together. That's where we met. We both commissioned at the same time. So we had very similar career paths. So we always had so much in common. We actually served in the same unit a couple of times. Um, so that was really super easy. Now that he's still doing that and I'm running my own business, a couple of businesses. Um, I'm pr- predominantly responsible for the childcare, which sort of just happens by chance because I can, I'm more flexible than he is. Like he, my kids got the stomach bug last week. He had to go to work and I had to keep them home and reschedule everything. And that can be really hard sometimes. And I can, I struggle with resentment a little bit. Um, and always have, honestly, like even when we first had our first, um, kid, when his career sort of took off and mine came to an abrupt halt. Um, but I think for me, it's just, you just kind of have to keep that in check. And again, remind yourself, like it's all worth it for the kids. Like that, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, so I feel like I'm, I'm making this out to be like really horrible, <laughs> but, um, no. I just think that like you, you just kind of have to take it as you go. And it's normal to have these feelings of resentment and frustration you know, it's marriage and family. It's hard. It's really hard, but it's, it's completely worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and, you know, the reason I, I wanted to bring that up is because I think, um, you know, as a dual military couple and one, one person getting out, especially going to work almost on, on their own business outside of, of the military. It's, uh, it's hard um, to, to balance. Um, it, it almost seems like it was easier to balance it when you were in because you had no other choice. But now when you're working from home and, you know, your work is literally five feet away from your family, you know, at all times, 
um, it makes it a lot more difficult. And, uh, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm looking forward to in the future is getting out and working full time as like a stay at home dad, if you will, while also working our own business. Um, but I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with as well. And, um, you know, especially guys who are active duty and also trying to start the side hustle of real estate or, or any other business. So for those guys who, um, you know, who are maybe active duty or maybe just getting out and have, you know, have full-time family and want to start this side hustle and they're trying to find the right work balance and uh, in terms of the time spent on each with, uh, with work and with family, what kind of advice do you have for those guys who uh, may not have the separation of being able to leave the house to go like physically be separated from their work and are constantly around family and trying to balance that time? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say like, if you're thinking about it and this is something that you want to do, like stop thinking about it and just do it. Um, because I, like I told you before, I served in them on active duty for eight years. I was a pretty good saver during that time. And I saved $120,000 in that eight year period. Wow. And since then, I, so that was over eight years, less than three years later, my, so my net worth was about 120 when I got out. Now my net worth is over 800,000. It's almost $900,000. And so, and I did that in three years. Like even if I had gotten out of the military and went back and worked full time and saved every single penny that I made, my bank accounts wouldn't be that high. My net worth wouldn't be that high. So this is the real deal. And this is the only industry that's going to allow you to leverage other people's money and to, you know, have this kind of success on zero, zero income, you know? So that's my first thing is like, don't, don't think about it because it will absolutely change your life. Just one rental or two rentals will change your life. It will change, you know, your perspective on the future and, um, so many different things. So there's that. Um, and then I think as far as the separation thing for me, cause I, I do work from home. I, um, my kids go to school part-time and, you know, they have like so many days off and then they get sick. I feel like they're home all the time. And so it's, it can be really hard. And I, my five-year-old is, she's almost five. And she, when my phone rings, she goes, Oh, mom, don't answer another call. And she gets like super dramatic about it. And I just kind of have to explain to her, like, listen, you're lucky that I work from home. Like I get to be with you most of the time. And this is a blessing for all of us. And I just, I have, I say that to her, but it's really a reminder for myself because I can get so I'm like, ah, like, I feel like my hair is on fire. I'm running around like crazy. I actually was talking to this woman yesterday and my kids were screaming. She was at the title company and she's like, I'm working from home too. And I'm literally hiding in the closet. So I feel you. (laughs) So we're, you know, we're all dealing with it. COVID has exacerbated the issue, but I think just reminding yourself that it is worth it and reminding yourself what it's for. Like I, this isn't my office, but in my office, I have like my why and pictures of everything behind me to remind myself like why I'm doing this. And I have my dollar amounts everywhere, what my monthly income I want to be, what my portfolio should be valued at all this stuff. And when, and I have my goals that show, you know, incremental, um, success and, that kind of stuff really like keeps me grounded. And so when I literally last week was just like covered in puke, rescheduling all my calls and like about to lose it and was like, I just need to get out of this apartment. We're in a tiny little apartment in Kansas. 
I was just like, you know what? This is fine. I get to be home with my kids. I have the luxury of rescheduling and having total control over my schedule. And I had to look at it like that. Otherwise I probably would have lost my mind. So I think that it's just perspective and just kind of reminding yourself what it's for. And that is what allows you to achieve success too. Mm-hmm. I know. I think that's amazing that constantly keep with a why in front of you. Cause I think it's, um, for me, it's very easy to get wrapped up in one or the other, to get wrapped up in family and not spending time in the business or vice versa. And, uh, you know, when I was getting started, that was something that was uh, a real struggle for me was trying to take the time, you know, cause I, I was still acting, you know, I'm still active duty, but I was working a job and then coming home and then also doing real estate and also trying to spend time with my wife. And it was, uh, it was a real struggle. And we had, you know, we had to put a lot of, um, a lot of barriers in place to like, Hey, at this time, we're going to stop doing real estate or, uh, you know, just take days off completely. And, um, you know, it was, it was a real struggle for us to kind of find that balance. And, uh, I think what really did it was exactly what you said, having, finding that why and constantly keeping it in front of you and understanding that, you know, the business is not, the business is not the end state that you want to achieve, right? It's the, it's the financial freedom. It's the, uh, you know, the ability to spend as much time doing whatever you want and, uh, and having the money and the freedom to be able to do that. Um, that at least that's what it was for me. And I think that that really made a difference. And, um, to my mindset is realizing that, Hey, like, you know, I can spend, you know, five hours a day doing real estate after I get home from a, you know, a 10 hour day and not spend time with my family and, just like you, we put up all this time to retirement, you can put up all this time to spending time with your family, but you never know how much time you have left. You never know if you're even going to be able to reach that, that family retirement age where you can actually start spending time with your family or reach that time where you can actually, uh, you know, sit down and actually retire and go travel the world or even be physically able to like, I could, we could all have an accident tomorrow and like your back could be broken and you could not walk, you know, for the rest of your life. And, you know, it's, it really does put life into perspective when you think about it from that standpoint. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of um, Tim Ferriss, the guy that wrote the four hour work week. He talks about how this like idea of retirement doesn't make any sense. Like why would we save, why would we like work so hard just to suddenly not work at all? Like it doesn't, it's just not a real logical thing. Like people tend to get bored or whatever, or, and then they're, you know, they work so hard for so long, they think they're going to have this amount of money at this point. And then they get there and they don't, and they have to keep working or they live, you know, a substandard life. Like it's just not a, a really good concept. And I think like, that's what I try to do every day. I try to like sort of be retired every day and just be passionate about what I am doing and what I get to do. And I think part of that too, is like what you were talking about is, is creating those boundaries is so huge. And a way that I've found that helps with that is just keeping track of your success. Like I have a net worth document where I'm like every month I go in and I reset it. I look at the value of my portfolio. I look at how much I owe on the mortgages you know, say all my, the money that I have in savings accounts. And I love to just see that number go up. And when I'm feeling like, I'm like, Oh, why am I doing this? I'm so stressed. It isn't worth it. Whatever. I look at that and I realize it absolutely is worth it. I am making progress. And the other thing is like, you have to celebrate the wins. You have to celebrate everything, every little win. And I think that's what keeps you going. And that's what makes you realize 
how much you've done. And I think your success like continues to scale and just, it's sort of like exponential. Like it's hard at first. It's really, really hard. It's total grind. Like just finding deals in the beginning seems impossible. And now here I am three days, three years later, like I have so many deals. I couldn't even possibly take advantage of them. And so people reaching out to me constantly wanting to give me money. And in the beginning I was like, I can't find anyone who's going to give me the loan on this. So it's, you know, just kind of like remind yourself of that progress and realize like it does get a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. I think that um, I think a lot of people get discouraged when I first get started because it's, I mean, it's literally a fire hose of information. I mean, whatever real estate investing you do, I mean, whether it's multifamily, burrs, lease to own, single family homes, I mean, wholesaling, there's so much knowledge that goes into it. And I think a lot of people get discouraged by that. Um, But at the end, yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take months, potentially even a year before you even get, feel like you get any traction. But, you know, I feel like that's like everything in life that's good for you. Like working out, it's going to take a while. You're not going to see the success of that right away. You know, losing weight, it's going to take a while. Um, you know, building habits, just building habits in general, take a while. And it's just the nature of the beast. And, um, you know, it's those guys that constantly keep the why in front of them and keep the drive going and realize that, yeah, it's going to, it's going to take a lot of effort and time and knowledge and talking with people and networking to really get ahead in this business that are truly successful. And it sounds like you've, you've done that, or at least got that going for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think that that's the most important part, whether it's real estate or any industry. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So let's get into your, your real estate background as well. So uh, did you start investing when you're in the army or was that afterwards? No, I didn't. I didn't actually really ever even think about it. Um, we bought our first house, our first personal residence when we were still in, um, but that was it. I didn't, I'd always wanted to get into flipping. I'd been around construction my whole life and I love managing that kind of stuff and just being on the job site and working with my hands. And I, um, always was kind of interested in it very vaguely looked into the idea of it, uh, but didn't really dive in until I got out. Uh, and it took me probably two years to buy my first deal. Like I just was really stuck in the analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. I let everyone talk me out of it. And, um, it took me a really long time to take the plunge. Interesting. Okay. You know, I think that um, uh, if you've ever read the book Atomic Habit, uh, one thing that um, he talks about in there is that we often get ourselves in, we're, we're in one of two states, we're either in the motion state or an action state. And the motion state is constantly making those plans, doing the analysis, underwriting, talking with people, networking. But it's not really until we take actually take action where we actually submit LOIs, we actually put in PSAs, we actually go do due diligence and start taking down properties that you really start succeeding in life. And uh, I think that that's true really whenever you do is as so many people get caught up in the in the planning motion side of things and not really on the action side of things. And, you know, I think that that if people took more, just decide to take more action and stop, uh, um, you know, running on the treadmill and actually get out and outside and start running there that I think people, a lot more people would be successful. But uh, I think it really does take a mindset shift to realize that, oh, shoot, like, you know, you got it. You have to take risks to be rewarded. You have to get out of your comfort zone to grow. You have to um, be able to take action to get anywhere in life. And uh, that's true. I think in, in uh, business, whatever business you end up doing. Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting too. Like I think a lot of newbies think it's so risky and I did too. And I think I'm just now getting to the point where I'm realizing like real estate is one of the least risky things you can do. Um, there's like, I tell my clients all the time, it's, it's really not about necessarily about the investment that you make. It's about whether or not you make that investment. And if you, you know, what separates people from being successful and from those that just never get involved is taking action is getting out there and actually buying properties because in real estate, like your asset is never going to go to zero unless like somehow you, you buy like a a property that's going to cave in. Um, and you just somehow like miss out on the whole due diligence process, which hopefully doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you, even if you do buy, maybe not so wisely, eventually your asset, you know, you're, if you're, if you're paying down the mark, the mortgage and your asset is appreciating, like you're going to win, it's going to be successful. There is no promise that that's going to happen with any other investment. Certainly not the stock market, certainly not, you know, investing in other, other businesses or companies. And, it's funny to me how many people are like, Oh yeah, real estate is so risky, but then they'll just go, they'll put their money in Bitcoin or Tesla or whatever. And there, you know, there's only so much that you can figure out about those investments. You can get quite a bit of information about real estate, about different markets, about neighborhoods, about individual properties that you can't get on other assets on other things that you can invest in. And then the other thing is you can't leverage any other investment. Like you can real estate, like you can't go and say, I want to buy a hundred shares of Apple, but I'm only going to pay for 20 of them. Like only in real estate, can you do that? You know? And so, and, and there's no chance that your, your rental is going to go out of business and suddenly become worth nothing or have like terrible leader at some point. Like it's just not a thing. So I think that once, and now that I, you know, now that I'm 38 doors in three years in, I'm realizing like, this is not nearly as risky as people think. And the better you get at it, the better you get at analyzing properties, analyzing markets and all that, it's even less risky. Mm-hmm. And I, now I know when I do kind of, um, I, I've learned to trust my gut. I have made two investments that I sold um, pretty quickly after buying them because they really just came down to a management issue. Um, and so now when I kind of like get have some And both, both of those times I had like a a feeling in my gut, like maybe I shouldn't buy this, but I did anyway, because I was afraid of what people would think if I walked away and I was afraid of losing my earnest money, but I don't care about that anymore. Like for, cause I, like I said, I sold those assets and lost more money as a result and would have done it again. Um, just because they weren't, they were taking up so much of my time and it, it wasn't worth it to me. So, but now I trust my gut and I don't make those investments. Even if I do miss out on $2,500 of earnest money or $4,000 on earnest money, it's worth it in the long run. But, you know, I, I more, the more I trust myself and the more I trust my process and my system, it's just so much easier to sort of rely on that gut feeling. Cause I'm like, it's based on something. And a couple of years ago, I was like, I feel like this isn't, isn't right, but I don't know why. And I bought it anyway. And then I sold it for like a $12,000 loss when I much rather would have lost my $2,500 earnest money and, you know, not earn some gray hairs on that deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, one, one of my favorite quotes is that uh, often the best investment you do is the deal you don't do at all. And uh, I think that's, that was definitely true for one of my first deals when, you know, I ended up losing only about five grand on that one, but it was, inspection costs and we end up pulling the contract on it um but you know it it takes those types of lumps to realize what you know to realize the lessons learned in a lot of that and especially with due diligence like a lot of times you don't know what you don't know 
when it comes to real estate. And, uh, you know, honestly, if there was any risk involved with real estate, I would say it's probably that is not knowing what you don't know and trying to jump in without having, um, the right experience or the right knowledge level. And, you know, you're never going to know everything that it possibly takes to take down a syndication or to, you know, do a, a proper bird to do a flip, like, and you're not really going to probably get that until you get like, you know, 30 in. Um, but there's probably someone who has that experience and there's probably someone that you can leverage to get you to that point uh, more so than, than you would with the capital market. And uh, so I would say that that, that is probably one of the biggest risks is, you know, outside of not taking action is, is uh, not leveraging the right resources to, uh, to, to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Right. Um, one of the things that really bit me on that property was I literally had no, no, nothing in place that I needed to take down that property. Didn't have capital, didn't have any boots on the ground partners, didn't have net worth or liquidity. I literally had nothing to get that done. Barely had lending done for it. Um, and it just really made me realize that, yeah, you know, I'd done a lot of research and knowledge into it, but I didn't have the right partners in place. And that was really where I ended up failing on that property. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think that's probably one of the biggest risks is, is, is not, not, uh, is, is understanding that the, you know, you don't know what you don't know and how you are going to minimize that effect by partnering with other people, uh, getting more knowledgeable. I mean, whatever, whatever you have to do to, to get that done, but, um, it shouldn't ultimately t stop you from taking action by not knowing enough. Right. Uh, there's always, there's always ways to be resourceful and leverage other people in that case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really good point. And I think that what I like about what you're saying is all of those, those things are within your control. You know, you having the right resources, having the right cash reserves and liquidity is huge mm -hmm. and, and having the appropriate network and the appropriate connections, all of those things you can control. And, but, it, and if like you look at the other things you can invest in, like the stock market, you can't control what happens to some of those investments. And that's what I really like, or I should not some, all of them. Like you don't get to decide you're not, unless you're on the board, which you're, you're not going to be investing in the same way. Anyway, you don't get to decide who, who makes the decisions in that company and that asset, but in real estate, you absolutely do. You have total control and you can mitigate that risk in a way that, you know, is, is really unparalleled. And I think, so many people worry about, oh, what happens if, if I got to replace the roof? Well, roofs are not nearly as expensive as people think. Like I, most of the roofs of my rentals could be done in like 4,000 or 4,500 bucks. Um, so I, once the more, you know, the, the less scary it is. Um, because I think people, and then, you know, if you get your right, the right insurance and protect yourself that way, it could potentially be even less than that. So, you know, the more you learn, the the easier it is to sort of wrap your head around it. Um, but I think for me, it's that like the fact that you can completely control how you respond to situations in regards to that asset. That's what's appealing to me about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so I want to dig into a little bit more on your, your real estate side of things. So, I mean, you've acquired 38 doors in the past three years and uh, you know, at some point you end up running out of your own money. So what kind of different creative financing that you come across or, or ways that you found to keep acquiring properties, you know, even outside of your own money? Yeah. So the, um, you know, tip, I have a couple of just bank loaned properties, um, single family homes. Our 10 unit is uh, just a 
a commercial loan from a bank. Um, I've used a lot of hard money and private money is kind of what I'm focusing on right now. Um, I just took down six units with a private lender who covered 100% of the purchase. So I literally bought six units valued. It's probably valued at like 340 or 350. I paid 290 for it. I was $5,800 out of pocket in closing costs or no, I'm sorry, $5,800 in loan origination fees, about 1500 in closing costs. And then I had to flip a unit. One of the tenants just got evicted. So that was another 5,500. So um, like $12,000. And I just acquired a, a very functional six unit property that's cash flowing about $1,200 a month. So I will easily make 100% ROI, cash on cash, return on investment in year one. Um, wow. I've heard about these lenders before, these like people that will give you 100%. And I was very skeptical of it. Like I was like, why would anybody do that? Um, right. But once I really pursued it, I, I interviewed a couple of them and some of them are shady. Don't get me wrong. Um, I did run into the first guy that I talked to. I was like, can I talk to you on the phone? And he like refused to give me his phone number. You know, it was weird. But anyway, I found a good one. I found one that I like and um, things you know, I, I'm amazed that I was able to buy that property because I have a goal of 20 more doors this year. And here we are in January and I already have six with almost nothing out of pocket. Um, so that's pretty unreal. Uh, and I don't know that I would have even realized that that was a possibility three years ago when I first got started. So I think that's just a testament to the network that I've built. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially I've used everything. I believe that like when you find the deal, the money will come. You'll either find um, someone that wants to invest in it, friends or family or professional contact that wants to partner with you on it, or you'll find somebody who wants to give you the money for it because it's a good deal and everyone wins. Um, so I think like whether you have the money or not, go out there and find the deal and then figure out how to, how to fund it and how to make it, you know, bring it to fruition. Um, and that's kind of been the story of everything since I started, I bought my first single family home. I put 20% down. Then I did a flip and I had like almost no money left. Um, once I finally sold the flip, I had a little bit more money, but still wasn't even enough for my next down payment. So I was like, I don't understand. And then I found out you could leverage your IRA. So I self-directed my IRA, um, bought a property in that. Then we self-directed my husband's IRA. We bought a triplex in that. And we found a lender who would loan against the IRA, which I didn't know that was a thing either, but it is. Um, yes, you just kind of keep figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I think that you've, uh, you have really shown the power of military investor to be resourceful and all that, and just say yes and figure it out later. I mean, there's a, uh, there's so many different ways that you have managed to um, just find financing no matter what. And uh, I mean, some really creative ways I've never even, never even heard of. Um, and so for those guys who are like, uh, you know, trying to find their first deal and trying to approach um, investors for the first time that maybe don't have any track experience or track record, don't have any experience, you know, this is their first time doing a deal. Um, or maybe second time doing a deal. What kind of advice do you have for those guys who may not um, uh, may not have the experience or the right connections to you know feel comfortable enough to find that money if they find the right deal? 
So I think that um, you need to schedule time to find those connections. Um, you know, schedule 30 minutes every day, five days a week, whether it's maybe it's on your commute to work um, where you are just calling lenders and you can find, just go to the bigger pockets forums or just Google, um, you know, real estate lenders, private lenders, private money. You can find so many contacts out there and, and figure out what their, what their deal is, what their situation is. What you'll find is that most of them offer the same thing. Like it's very consistent across the board. How many, how much you're going to pay in points, how much, what percentage of, um, ARV or market value they're going to give you there. It's pretty similar. And so once you know what it is that they're offering, it's so much easier to have a conversation and it's so much easier to negotiate and to figure out how that person's product can apply to you and your situation. So it just sort of comes, it's, it's just like anything else that you do. Like when you first start a job in the military, you're like, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. Like, you're like, hopefully there's some sort of SOP standard operating procedure somewhere but then like two, three months later, you're like, you just got it. Like you figured it out because you just dove in and you did it. And so I think that's why military members make successful investors because it's no different than any other job you've ever had in the military. And it's always changing too. So I think it's just is, is setting up those KPIs and being really consistent. Like what is your goal? Figure out what it is going to take for you to get there. So if the goal is to find a lender, then you better get on the phone and start interviewing every person you've ever heard of. And you better start asking anybody and everybody who they recommend as a lender. Right. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. And you just, by having those conversations, like you might feel stupid the first couple of times, but eventually like, you're just going to, it's just going to, it's going to flow and you're going to know the questions to ask. And then you're going to be able to figure out like who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't like, it's so I tell people all the time when you're interviewing a property manager, you're going to know if they're good or if they're not like you just start asking them questions about the property that you're looking at. And if they know what they're talking about and can give you real data on that property, then they're probably going to be a good, a good property manager. If they're just blowing smoke or giving you like, they're like, Oh, this could rent for a thousand to $1,500. Like what? That doesn't even make sense. So you just kind of figure it out. So I think ultimately, again, it comes down to taking action. So if figure out what your goal is, figure out what it's going to take to get there. And, you know, if it's, if it's getting a property under contract, then you need to be saying, I'm going to analyze five properties a day and, or I'm going to be making an one offer every single day or one offer a week, whatever it is. And you just have to go do it. And even if the, even if you're scared, you have to do it. Even if the deal is nowhere near the returns that you want, like, make an offer based on what you need to make that property work. And the worst you're going to say is no, but the next time that you make an offer, it's so much easier. The next time you make a phone call, you have so much more confidence. And I think then you can get to the point where like, you can just throw out offers. I mean, I text offers now, like I just text people offers. I'm like, will you take this? Like, I'm not going to take the time to fill out paperwork unless I know that they're going to do it. Um, and I think newbies, probably can't even wrap their head around that concept. I know I couldn't, I used to do all these, all this paperwork and like professional letterheads and all this stuff, like, which is good in the beginning to go through that process and do that. Um, but real estate is so, so, so simple. And it ultimately just comes down to getting out there and doing it. I love it. I mean, I, I love it. everything you said is just spot on. And, <clears throat> you know, just at, at the end of it, all of it, it just ends up, you just got to take action. Um, so I, yeah, I love what you said there. But uh, we're getting close to the end of the episode, and I uh, want to get into this snapshot round if you're ready for it. I'm ready. 
All ahead, flank, cavitate, snapshot, tube, tube. All right, here we go. Aaron, first question for you. What is your number one failure in real estate? My number one failure in real estate, I think would just come down to confidence in myself. Um, I think I've, I've come a long way, but I know I could be so much further along if I had more confidence in myself last year or even yesterday. Perfect. Love it. All right. And then as a veteran investor, what advice do you have for other military investors to be successful? Just do it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. All right. And uh, what inspired you to serve your country? <laughs> Um, honestly, I think initially it was the idea of financial freedom. You know, when I was in high school, I, the appeal of West Point was that nobody was paying for my tuition and I wasn't going to have to pay it back. Once I got there though, I realized like how, how much I loved it, how much I loved the people and serving alongside such amazing people. Um, and then just doing something that I felt mattered, um, I didn't, I don't know that I necessarily had that when I was like 17 or 18 when I went to West Point, but it quickly became clear to me that, um, you know, that was exactly where I was meant to be. And I, I truly did love my time in the army. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally get that. I mean, it's, it's, it's life-changing, uh, when you, when you really decide to serve your country and then actually showing up and then there's something, it was similar for me, uh, going to Naval Academy as well, just, you know, it really does per, put in perspective what you're doing um, and how mature you suddenly become when you realize like, oh, shoot, like in four years, I'm going to literally be in charge of people or I'm going to be, you know, driving a ship or a submarine or, you know, leaving, leading an infantry platoon or, you know, whatever, it, wherever it kind of takes you. It's a, it's a stark reality. And I think it's um, uh, something that a lot of other guys who are not military investors just don't get within business in general. It's uh, it's, it's service to country is something that um, there's just, just, just alone saying those words, saying an oath to a constitution to uphold a, literally the document that built this country. I just, it's, it's just something else. And then it's uh, you know, again, why well, I think in military investors are, are some of the best out there, but I'm, I'm ranting now. So <laughs> I'll ask you your last question. <laughs> um, Aaron, what is your dream? My dream is to be completely financially free so I can do anything I want whenever I want and to be able to spend, you know, all the time with my family and just be comfortable in my own skin. I have two little girls and I want them to just enjoy their life and enjoy themselves every day. And I want to be a good example for them. Love it. I love it. And I think, yeah, it sounds like you definitely are already just by being able to be at home with them and spend time with them. I think it's more than a lot of people can say, especially uh, being in the military. So um, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing, you know, all of your lessons learned and, you know, about your creative financing and your time in, in and out of the military, uh, you know, your, your journey to 38 doors and, you know, look forward to the successes you have during the rest of this year. Uh, and if people want to contact you or reach out to you, where can they go? Yeah. Awesome. So my, um, Website is bcglobalinvestments.com. My email is erin, E-R-I-N, at bcglobalinvestments.com. 
And I'm all over Facebook and Instagram at the Aaron Helly. The Aaron Helly. Okay, cool. All right. Um, Again, Aaron, thanks for coming on here. And uh, I look forward to chatting in the future and please stay safe back in the States. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for listening. If you are a military investor and found this episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show packed with great information, tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform. Every comment is read and appreciated. Don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of PCI Teaches, brought to you by Pinto Capital Investments. Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through Learn and Teach segments. And listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate show.